0: I am so excited about this tutoring thing. I mean, it's, it's like you can, I've seen the hand of the Lord in this from the very beginning. Just little thoughts, people that I talk to. And I've always said, when I was growing up, I was not much of a reader. I could read, but I didn't read much. Now I say, a reader is a leader, and a leader is a reader. Start young, and you'll stay young. Reading. So it's just so exciting. And then I was asking John if there's a ratio of tutors to kids. He is saying that a one-to-one is best. Kind of thing, Uh, but then I said, "Is there a limit to our building?" And there isn't. So I can see the Lord, because we got to get these young hearts when they're young. We got we got to be able to minister to them, help them, and I just I just love it. I love what the Lord has done here. It's yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) Would you stand? We'd like to stand to read the word, and then as last week, so this week, another psalm came to mind for me that fits our passage. So we're going to do a little uh, responsive reading, but I'm going to read the text that we're going through. Five verses in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but... Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, title of our passage, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So now I'd like to responsibly read Psalm 73. I will read the first and odd verses. You follow and read the second and even verses. And as you're reading, I hope you can take it in a little more than just reading words. We just take in this psalm. It's it's got 28 verses, I believe. So here we go. Truly God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they played like other men. Their their eyes eyes bowls with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They 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 set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongues walk through the earth. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain, washed my hands in innocence. If I said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Until I went to the, into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. You set them in you them down oh, how they are brought out, brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. Race, so the Lord shall their Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Let's pray. So, Lord, here we are, gathered to hear your word. We know that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, that your word divides between the thoughts and intents of our heart. It shows us things that we need to see. It's a light to our path, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. You show us where we are you direct us to where you want us going and so lord our prayer this morning as we get into the word the things i prepared break them fresh we're hungry and lord help us to hear what the spirit is saying to the church help us to hear what you're speaking into our hearts lord we've already had such a richness in worship and seeing what you're doing and here lord your word is before us and we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god as we're going to talk this morning even your scriptures lord we love your word We want to taste and see just how good you are again this morning. We want to take to heart the things you've you've put in here for correction, for instruction, for training, whatever it is, Lord, that you have for us individually and as a church. Give us, Lord, I pray, a sense right now that you are speaking to us as you are. And bless our time in the Word, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, as we look at this whole area now of suffering, which is going to take in most of the rest of 1 Peter, It often looks and feels like the wicked are getting away with it. Like the psalm says. Or so it seems like that. So they are not in trouble as other men. Nor are they plagued like other men. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? And they just flaunt it. Their tongue walks through the earth, it says. And it can cause us as the psalmist here, and by the way, when David wrote this psalm, he was in the, same, in the same situation as the one last week. He wasn't having a good day, he was in captive. And so he's writing this, this psalm accordingly. So it, 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 see, for me, and I think for most of us here, what I, what I think of, you know, what's the point? That just kind of creep, Sometimes when it's tough, I'm going, what's the point? When we see all these things, and our hearts can get discouraged. And then we can say, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Now, there's a hope in that one. (laughs) Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And I take care of my kids. My kids, but if it's someone else's kids, I can just let them go do what they want. But my kids, I'm on it. So there is a little encouragement there. But it seems like, as a believer, life got a lot harder. So the turning point for us this morning, the turning point for the psalmist to gain perspective again, eternal perspective, he said this, until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I spent time in worship, in his word, in prayer, in fellowship, until I did that, then understood I, or I understood their end. And he says, surely you've set that. so our end is very different. Would you say amen to that? The hope that we have is not in this life. Our hope is in God, who's promised us eternal life, which is a quality of life, not quantity. Eternal has no time. So there's a quality of life that comes, how? In knowing God. This is eternal life. Jesus said it. What's eternal life? That you may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Now, you can't know God until you know Christ. But in knowing Christ, we know the eternal God. I've often said this and thought this even more often. I will never know what it's like to not know God. Think about that a minute. It is so locked in. I have been born again. I will never know what it is. But I'll tell you, And our youth, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, our youth, these children who've never had exposure to the gospel, who've never had a, 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 a intact home. And one of my daughter's friends committed suicide. There was a memorial for him two weeks ago. And as I was thinking about that, as I thought before, it makes me weep. Here are children who have no idea even who God is. And it's, it's got to be so empty. It's no wonder the suicide rates have gone up along with, the COVID. So when this happens and I go into the sanctuary of God, then the psalmist says he realized his own foolishness but he also understood his own unworthiness. He said, I was like a beast before you. My heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind and he began to realize, wow, wow. What I was thinking is so off. I'm like this this beast before God. To think I would be thinking like that about God—it's then that my heart's sanctified by God's love and faithfulness. That's what happens. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. The psalmist: I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Have you experienced that? Has that happened for you? When you go, what's the point? And you look at all that's going on. You go, what's the point? What's happening? Why, what, why, why? And then you go into the sanctuary of God and you realize, man, I got to get my mind right. <laughs> I need a correction in how I'm thinking. And so I want to talk about sanctifying the Lord God in your heart this morning. This series is called Living Hope. Last week, we talked about responding to evil by doing good. Well, this whole train of thought continues as Peter now goes on this morning and will continue in talking about suffering. Now, I always do a ton of word searches when I'm, how many words and all these things when I'm doing. In this passage, I found something interesting. It probably doesn't mean a thing, but let me tell you about it anyway. (laughs) There's, it's only five verses, but nine times it talks about you or your As the Christian. But he also contrasts that. With nine. About the opposition. And he uses who. Talking about opposition. Four times. And then you have. He. Their. Everyone. They. Those. Four plus five is nine. I don't spend a lot of time doing this. But I think it's fun when I do. Okay. (laughs) Those who are after you. To attack You. Your faith to harm you, to threaten you, to trouble you, to defame you as an evildoer, to revile your good conduct in Christ, to see you suffer as you seek to be a follower of what is good and doing good. It seems almost crazy. So, numbers wise, again, I don't think there's any significance, but as I thought about it, I had this encouraging thought. When it comes to the Christian and the opposition, nine to nine, it's even. But the deal is, we get to add one. In fact, we get to add one in three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And with God, it's a majority. So we have God in our lives, and we need to continue to get our minds right, our hearts right, That we serve the living, eternal, infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God who loves us, saved us, and walks with us. And I say, no, yeah. (laughs) It's dramatic. It's, It's dramatic. It's eternal. What we have as believers. So sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Jesus put it this way. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father one. In other words, the triune God has got a hold of us. What shall we say to these things? As my pastor way back when, Chuck smith, said, far out. Now he's talking to hippies at the time. What shall we say if God is for us? The question, who can be against us? There's another who. Who can be against us? The answer is the world's against us. The devil's against us. People are against us. And sometimes we're against ourselves. But God is for us and God's a majority. 2 Corinthians. For you are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The book of Deuteronomy outlines with that passage. I shared this last week, but it, it bears repeating. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can we start there this morning? Talking about sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. My heart? So let me run through these five verses just quickly, if you don't mind. Well, if you do, I'm going to do it anyway, so there you go. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if it's probably going to happen, suffer, you are blessed. And do not be afraid, and do not be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready with meekness and fear. That when they, when those, when who do it, it happens, cause that in your life, they, not you, will be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For it is better. Now, it sure doesn't seem better. That's not what Peter wrote. It sure doesn't feel better. That's not what Peter wrote. It certainly doesn't look any better, but that's not what Peter wrote. So what? We just to suffer? That's not what Peter wrote. What Peter wrote is, it is better if it is the will of God and if it is for doing good. Let's keep perspective. So sanctify the Lord God. I'm going to just briefly take you through these thoughts. Number one, put your confidence in the Lord God. Secondly, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Now, I have three things I want to share under that. And then here's the deal: be the real deal with God. Be the real deal with God. No faking it, not playing games. Be the real deal with God. Put your confidence in the Lord your Lord God, sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be the real deal with God. Now, put your confidence, Lord, listen, not in yourself. You know, when, when you realize how in the way you are of yourself, it's a real thing to say, "I'm done with me." <laughs> I reckon that's me. So not in yourself, not in other person, not other things, not other organizations, put your trust in the Lord. Put your confidence in God. Many times, God command, encourages people by saying to them, "I am your God." It needs to be personalized. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the house of bondage. So be confident. Be courageous. Do not fear because I'm the Lord, your God. Can you take that to heart this morning? He says that to you and all. I'm your God. Now, until or unless we make this personal, our, comp- will, our confidence will either be gravely, literally mistaken or it will be going along with the weather vane of whatever's happening. So the question is, is the Lord your God? That's, a ver- that's the most important question you'll ever answer. Is the Lord God your God? In other words, have you Acknowledged you are a sinner before God? Have you repented as a sinner before God? Have you asked forgiveness? Has you applied to your life God's payment for your sin, which is death? And Jesus paid that price for you. And it's called the gospel for a very good reason it's good news. So that's the question. Is the Lord your God? Because if he is not, you have not personalized that, and you will die in your sin. That's how important the question is to answer. How do you answer it? By believing the gospel, that Jesus died for your sin according to the scriptures, that he was buried and rose again the third day for your sin, to pay the price and and, uh, give the evidence that indeed it's been paid and accepted by God. And you acknowledge that you're a sinner. You acknowledge you need forgiveness. And then you receive Christ as your Savior. And you are, Jesus' terms, born again by the Spirit of God. Your life will be radically changed. How many can testify to that in this room? Amen. Yeah. So listen this is my confidence. The Lord is my God, Jesus is my Savior. That's the confidence. So, my fellow believers, we need to continually make this personal. If our confidence and our courage and our faith and our love and our hope is going to be able to rise to the heights that God would have it to rise. Our confidence, we need to personalize. We must make it personal in our hearts, I believe, every day. Wake up, you're my God. Go to sleep, you're my God. Psalm 92 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, most high, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. You're my God. So, fill in the blank. The Lord is my... Oh, good job. (laughs) Because this is what God did all the way along. To Moses and David and the prophet Zechariah and many others, John, all these. They would say... He's my God. He's what? My shepherd. Let me read you a few. This is what God did. He revealed himself because he's a personal God wanting a personal relationship. So he was personally in relationship with everyone individually. that They can claim he's my God. The Lord is my strength and my song. Moses said that. He's my salvation. He's my God. He said the Lord is my banner in battle. David said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my strong. I mean, David just like littered the Psalms with my God, my Lord. And of course, someone just said that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Read Psalm 23 and just personalize it. Emphasize the personal pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And all those things that the psalmist says. And David was so loved by God and he knew it. And when we begin to personalize it, that understanding, that knowledge becomes to take root in our hearts. And we know it. And is there any greater freedom than knowing that God loves us? These our light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, this is the perspective. And we, and we need this infiltrating every area of our thinking that God is my God. I wanted to put this Zechariah one because I thought it fits very well with what we're doing, what we're talking about. I will bring the one-third through the fire will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. See, that's what happens to the believer, God's people. He does that. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say this is my people and each one, each one will say, the Lord is my God. And sometimes the difficulties of life, the chasing, all those things are no fun at all. Would you say amen to that? It's like, a and, and in Hebrews even de- says that, no chasing for the present time seems painful, seems pleasant, but... Thank you. Painful. <laughs> Scourges every son who sees. Now you who have you parents who have children. You understand the need to get to the heart through pain. That's how it works. And often God's getting our attention and chasing us. Why? What's the end result? That we may be partakers of His holiness. You talk about relationship with God and holiness. There's nothing deeper. So, listen we can we, we can do this we can we me and god we can endure this we can work through this we can see the victory at some point as god would lead us fill in the blank god will blank me god will keep me god will guide me God will counsel me. God will deliver me. God will strengthen me. God will shepherd me. God will save me. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, but even if it might gonna happen, you are blessed. That's what Peter said. Job suffered. Jacob suffered. Joseph suffered. David suffered. John the Baptist suffered. The disciples suffered. Paul suffered. And let me say this, the church suffers. Suffering will come, but listen, when the Lord is my God, I know he will see me through. When I'm following him and doing good, I know he will see me through. So I'm going to stay at it. I'm going to keep on keeping on. Thanks be to God that no matter what the suffering, we can respond. I say, God is good. You say, That was a little wimpy like last week, so we're going to try it again. (laughs) God is good all the time. time. One more time. God is good all the time. time. We might be doing this every day, every Sunday. Okay. Do not be afraid. Do not be troubled. See, a confidence in the Lord is bold and brave. These threats are meant to intimidate. Have you ever been threatened? You all have. They're meant to intimidate. They're meant to cause fear. They're meant to put you on the defensive, which they do. You hear, I'm going to sue you. I had an experience one time where I was with a friend of mine many years ago, good friend, going through horrible things, being accused of a lot of things by his wife and all stuff. And so I was with him. I went to the court. And I, I'm, I'm in the waiting area before you go into the room where, where the Hearings are happening, and I see his wife. This is not a good idea, <laughs> but I marched over to her. I said, what are you doing? You're lying? You're doing things? And her lawyer comes up to me, and you write in a letter of apology, or I'm going to bring you, you know, and I'm going, whoa, okay. <laughs> and anyway, I had to write of an apology, and I couldn't go to any more hearings. <laughs> so, you know, you learn through these things, but... The threatening things. How many times have you been threatened and it never happened? How much time do we spend worrying about something that never happens? A lot. I like this very interesting progression in Psalm 56. Again, this is David also captured by the Philistines in Gath. It says, Be mercifully, O God, for man would swallow me up. Finding all day he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, almost Most High. Now notice verse 3. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. So that's the beginning. Now let's move down to the end in verse 10. In God, same thing. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. I, in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So there's two things here. Whenever I'm afraid, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him and not be afraid. Sort of bookends. How are we doing here? We'll find out. Okay, Acts 4. Peter and John are arrested. They're threatened and then threatened again by these very powerful rulers. So as they're threatened by these things, they're responding. And eventually it came to the fact that these rulers couldn't keep them, though they wanted to. But we read what they saw in Acts 4, 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized they'd been with Jesus. Let me tell you, boldness, braveness comes from being with Jesus. Now, it goes on. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, always the best thing to do. Let's go pray. Lord, you are God. Good place to start. Who made heaven and earth and the scene all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations, hate Psalm 2, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? For truly against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do, notice, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Listen, God is in control. And they're acknowledging God. They're acknowledging his scriptures also. They're acknowledging God. And they're saying, God's in control here. No matter what they're doing, God's in control. Oh, how we need to remind ourselves that. He's the Lord, my God, and my God is in control. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your servant your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. You talk about prayer that shakes the opposition. This is it. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now notice, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. They'd been with Jesus. They understood who God is. They understood God's in control. They had the Holy Spirit filled. And they're saying, Lord, now, I'm a wimp, Okay? When there's threats to stop saying, Lord, don't let that happen again. They're saying, bring it on, man, in a good way. Boldness and bravery through prayer and understanding who God is in every circumstance that we might go through. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready. So I'm going to give you three things just quickly. You can be up there. You can jot them down. Number one. We need a sanctified privacy that keeps our heart current in communion with God. A sanctified place alone with God. Sanctified, Lord God, in your hearts. That place, that sanctuary is our hearts with God. See, Jesus needed it. We need it. Jesus did it. We need to be doing that. And I know how it's easily for myself, and I know every one of us... There are seasons of the soul when sometimes it just seems like man is brimming with blessing. And there are seasons of the soul when it seems like I'm in a desert. Is there anything in this word that's going to speak to me? I say to you, my brother and sister, you know and I know. You don't stop eating because you don't like the meal. Or you don't get it. You eat because your body needs food. Spiritually speaking, the word of God is the bread of life to us. A man shall not live by bread alone. Life is much more than physical existence, but by every what? Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's the scriptures. We need a sanctified privacy that keeps our hearts current and in communion with God. Do you have that today? And maybe that's dropped off for you. Maybe you've never had. I'm saying, brother and sister, as I say to myself, we need to get back to private time with God if our hearts are going to be sanctified. That inner sanctuary where God can do what only he can do. Where he shows us the things of our hearts. He cleanses the things in our hearts. He encourages us in our hearts. He strengthens us for our good and his glory. That's what he does in the private moments. And you know that, I know that. And yet it's so easy to begin to get too busy and too distracted. I'll share this, I've shared it before, but it's one of my, it's probably the favorite picture I have of this whole thing of communion with God. It was, it was a little pamphlet that said, "My heart, God's home." And this guy got saved, and the picture he had was Jesus moved into his house. And every day he'd go to the den and spend time with Jesus. And every morning he looked forward to it every night. And then, as he got get busy, busy, he missed a couple of days. So he goes down the stairs, and there's the. He says, oh, Sorry, Lord, I'm busy. I'll, I'll catch you tomorrow. And he runs out and does this thing. And then that turned into two days, three days, five days, then a week, and he just never. He never. He was too busy. How many of you are too busy? I'm busy. I'm too busy. Many times. And so finally, he comes to his senses after a couple of months of that, and he goes down, sort of hung, hang, head hanging. Says, Lord, you know. I'm sorry, haven't been spending time with you. Been missing you, and then he wrote this. I was surprised to hear him say, "I missed it too." The Lord misses us; He misses us. Isn't that fantastic? And so he starts. He hears that, and he starts to. But then the Lord said, "Now I want to talk to you about this closet that's upstairs, and it really stinks." Oh no no. Look, you got everything else. You got all the every all the walls in the house. You got, but not the closet. Not the closet. That's you know. I, you know, got to go. Got to clean it up. It stinks. And he's resisting that, resisting it. He said, "Lord, I can't clean it up." Lord, so just give me the key. Let me unlock the door. Let me, I'll clean it up for you. I'll, I'll make it clean. And so reluctantly, he hands the key and God starts to work. And that's what happens in our communion with God, in our hearts. That sanctified prophecy, prophecy where the, the word begins to speak to us and things, we see things and we listening and God's speaking to our hearts. And so I love Romans chapter eight. He says, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how we should pray as we ought, but the spirit himself helps us makes intercession for us according to the will of God. We are not only human beings, but we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And he begins his work in our lives, and God starts going to work on those closets. How many of you got closets that stink and they're smelly? And you've done everything you can until finally said, I'm just going to lock it away. And so the Lord just, listen, it's never locked to God, but we have to be willing to give him the key. We need the sanctified scriptures. These reveal the heart of God. So Peter, and, be re- and uh, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready. Be equipped to give people answers. The Christian faith is a reasoned Faith. We're not following cunningly devised fables. We're following the way, the truth, and the life. The Christian hope is not a leap in the dark, it's a walk in the light. That's what we have. So the sanctified scriptures reveal the heart of God, they're His revelation to us, upon which our faith must be built. To give a defense means apologetics. Now, it sounds like apology. It's not an apology. Apologetics means that which is a defendant before a judge. Apologetics, this is a, uh, we have a handout on the table out there. I'll talk about the table in a moment. It's from GAP. Um, Grassroots apologetics for parents, training. They have a sheet out there. You can get it. Ten questions about apologetics. Now, maybe that's a new word for you this morning. Maybe it's not. But do you know what it means? They write there, making a case for and defending the truth of Christianity or a giving reason for our faith. It's not only what I believe, but it's why I believe it. Another book I'll, I'll say is, an, is by Alyssa Childers. It's called Another Gospel. I don't know if any of you have read that. I've mentioned it before. It's, I think it's a must read. To understand not only what it means to be able to defend the faith, but also understand what's going against us and the subtleties of, of these what's it called the uh, progressive movement in the Christian church it's progressing away from the basics of scripture I have a lot of scriptures here but from childhood Paul told Timothy from childhood you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus all scripture not some all scriptures given by inspiration of God, God breathe, is proper for doctrine, teaching, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I think I missed one. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for everything. The scriptures are sufficient. And I want to tell you, we're going through this book, Fault Lines, by Dr. and Pastor uh, Vodi Bakum, as ABCD group. I've read about three-fourths of it so far. It's not only very enlightening, it's very disturbing. It's not new. Paul wrote about it. But the, the enemy comes in. Deceitful men. Jude says, to contenders for the faith, which is once for all delivered to the saints, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. Ungodly men. It's happening in the church. And we need to hold fast to these truths because they are foundational to our faith and what we believe and why we believe it. Preach the word, he said. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their itching ears. And how many itching ears are being salved in many of those places where they should be hearing the pure word of God? They'll turn their uh, self aside to fables. You know, I know, these truths. If you'd be coming here any time at all. This, my friends, I would not be doing what I'm doing were it not for me understanding that the scriptures are sufficient. When I start looking to other philosophies, other ideologies, other things of the world, other social whatever, when I start looking at that to try and explain the Bible, I got it backwards. It's the scriptures that are sufficient. And I hold to that for my life. But I also hold to it confidently, courageously and say, "Thank you God for giving to us such thing as the Bible." And there's a couple uh, documentaries. I've mentioned these also before. I want to say it again. It's called The American Gospel. Some of you have probably heard it. There's two now uh, of these documentaries. American Gospel, Christ Alone came out in 2019. American Gospel, Christ Crucified in 2020. If you're going to watch, one of them I think is about an hour and a half. The other one's three hours. But it's going through doctrine. And I watched that thing, and they had some very solid men Teach of the Bible, women teach the Bible who hold fast to these same things I'm talking about. But then they have all these others. And there are many well-known big platforms who are leading people astray from the Bible, from believing the Bible, from trusting the Bible, and 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 portrayed as sort of like simplistic. It's not simplistic at all. It's eternal. I'm trying to decide where where do I go with this because I got things here that are just they're they're brewing and burning in my heart brothers and sisters in the lord we have the incredible word of god it's actually god breathed it's sufficient let me read to you what's on our website We believe that the 66 books of the Bible, the scriptures that make up the Old and New Testament, are the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word of God, and are the infallible rule of faith and practice. The Word of God is the foundation upon which this church operates, and is the base on which the church is governed. We believe that the Word of God supersedes any earthly law that is contrary to the Holy Scriptures, and everyone, I hope, says, Amen. Now, we're going to do communion this morning. I want, to, I want to be sensitive to our time. But I really want to, I want you to read this. It's from this book by Pastor and, and Dr. Vodi Bak- Bakum. And he's a black man. He's, I think he's 74. Uh, he grew up in a har- I, I encourage you to join our ABCD group or just get it and read it for yourself. But it's, he has a testimony that is incredible of what God did. It's all next week is Mother's Day. He has an incredible testimony of his mom raising him as a single mom. You're talking bad places. We'll we'll hear a little bit about that, but I'm going to read this if you don't mind, but even if you do, I'm going to read it anyway, okay? So, this is now let me read the title Fault Lines The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. That's the title and subtitle. He writes this, At least three realities should give us pause when men who have been studying and teaching the Bible for many decades proclaim that they have come to some life-altering revelation that has not been derived from Scripture. First, the Bible is the Word of God, Paul says. All Scripture is Breathed out by God. In other words, the Bible is not merely the words and speculations of men, nor is it dependent upon the words or ideas of men for its authority. Unlike the text in the new anti racist canon, the Bible carries the authority of God Himself. Second, the Bible is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. In other words, since race is undoubtedly a righteousness issue, the Bible is profitable for teaching those who are ignorant about race, rebuking those who are in sin concerning race, correcting those who are in error about race, and training everyone who is pursuing righteousness in regard to race. I think I've got to interject this. I am not saying, and he is not saying, there's not a problem. There is a problem. What he's saying is, let's get back to a biblical worldview and discuss this issue from that base. Not philosophical, not ideologies, not theories, but God's word. Okay, I'll go on. To put a, point, put a finer point on it, there is not a book in the world that is better... Listen, can I say that again? Because I love it. There is not a book in the world that is better suited to address men on the issue of race than the Bible. That is not to say that there's no help to be found in other books. It is, however, to say that they are, not, however, they're, they're not essential. They are not essential. Third, the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is the only canon through and by which the man of God may be complete, equipped. This includes the work of race relations of any and every kind. It is the Bible, not sociology, psychology, or political science that offers sufficient answers, not only on race, but on every ethical issue man has has faced or will ever face, unquote. So here's my... Read the book before you you immediately reject it because of its title or its subtitle. And then, as you read the book, should you disagree in any way, and I have, there's things, that happens when you read books. Don't revile the author. Reason with the arguments. That's how we need to approach these kinds of things. We need to reason as we're told. So here's the ABCD group. If you want to join, email me. You're welcome. Here's Here's sort of this little blurb. We do this to encourage, educate, and equip one another in the context of Christian community to live the truth by being an expression of God's love through the gospel. That's the goal of it. Not to settle. Dis- it's just to. We need, we need to be educated. We need to be equipped. And we need to be encouraged. Sanctify the Lord. Guard your hearts. Sanctify privacy. The sanctified scriptures. And finally a sanctified opposition. There is a way to go about with opposition. Paul put, says with meekness and fear. That's it. So Paul told Timothy. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife this is sanctified opposition and a servant lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all able to teach patient in humility that this is the substance of sanctified opposition if correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps god see we need to put god if perhaps God will grant them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, they may escape the snare of the devil who's taking them captive. We're in a spiritual battle. We need to be going this as in sanctified opposition, as he tells us there. So I have a little sign out on one of the tables out in the lobby. It's called the Sanctified Table. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. From our last ABC Duke, I want to read you something in the notes. Make this book available, this book on culture. Provide for every family that has children. So we will do that for you. Go to the table. The books are there. Not to take, but just to look at it. There's two of them. There's the culture book, and then there's the student, which is a revised version put in sort of more of a summary way. We went through this book in our last ABC. So if you want to, if you want that book, we will get it for you. You can be equipped. You'll find out uh, information on the grassroots apologetics for parents. You'll find out there's information for su- this. There's I-, I hope that you'll... Shard and I are going to go to this. I'd love to take a lot of you with with us. It's called, this ministry called Stand to Reason, Stand to Reason Reality Conference. It's going to be in October at Crossroads Bible Church. So all those are out there. We have our, our CCS Western Seminary training program. We're just getting done with that in June. We're going to start up in September again. It's fantastic. It's Calvary Chapel and Western Seminary teaming up to equip us with God's word, if you want to do that. There's other resources out there also. So my final thought, which needs no more commentary than this, be the real deal with God. That your conscience is good before God. That you keep in your conduct doing it for good for God. And it's the real deal. It's better, but it's never easy to suffer. But may God help us. So we're going to do communion together this morning. Now, the communion table is the place where we as believers come and we remember his death. One of the words used there is declare his death. I'll read it 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read this for for our time. I received from the Lord, Paul the Apostle, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I like to look at communion as this. It's the family of God. It's the believers in Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you don't know him, and you haven't repented, and you haven't come to faith, and you haven't been born again, then this is not for you. I don't say that exclusively. I say that because it's important you understand that. Because when we take the bread and we take the cup, we are basically declaring that Jesus is Savior. He's the only one who could die for our sins. He's the one through whom I will have eternal life and no one else. So when I take that and I acknowledge that, then I'm really, as Paul said, I'm speaking damnation to myself. We don't want that. We want you to come sincerely to Christ when you have been born again and then. So these emblems are the family of God coming to remember his death until he comes. And what I like to do is look back. We remember his death. So I look back, and I can look back maybe yesterday, maybe even this morning, or I can look back a week, a month, whatever. I'm looking back, but when I look all the way, there's a cross that took care of all my sin. There's a cross. So we hold the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you, that God laid on Jesus, his son, all of my sin. Whatever those things are, this is time to examine yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And we look back. Say, God, thank you for the cross. And then declare his death until he comes. We look forward. Oh, how we look forward to that time when Jesus returns.